0: Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Jonah, chapter four, verses one through 11. You can also follow along on page eight of our bulletins. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God "'slow to anger and abounding in love, "'a God who relents from sending calamity. "'Now, O Lord, take my life, "'for it is better for me to die than to live.' "'But the Lord replied, "'Have you any right to be angry?' "'Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. "'There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, "'and waited to see what would happen to the city.' Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give him shade for his head to ease his discomfort, and Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I am angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? This is the word of our God.
1: We're wrapping up a, a series on Jonah today, and uh, Jonah is about embracing our city, but the text is really about the complexities of sin and the complexities of grace, particularly with respect to anger and judgment. And so if you haven't been with us, uh, just a very quick summary, Jonah was a prophet And he was called to preach to the Assyrian capital of Nineveh. He's actually the only prophet that God has called, that was called to preach to a people outside of his own. And so instead of obeying God, he ran. He ran from God. And while he was on a ship running from God, there was a violent storm. And these sailors, they cast lots. And the lot fell on Jonah. And so they threw Jonah overboard. Then you know the story. A fish comes, takes up Jonah. He's inside a fish. He prays in the fish. Salvation is of the Lord. And God rescues Jonah. The fish vomits Jonah onto dry land. God calls Jonah to enter into the city. Jonah enters into the city, preaches judgment on the city. 40 more days and this city will be overturned. And the entire city with the king is broken. Repents. But Jonah is at odds with God. And in this passage you see him and it's an amazing passage because how many passages do you see that's so expli- where it's so explicit a person's anger towards God? Because we have that kind of anger. And and it's not we don't explicitly share it. It's, we're too we speak too much Christianese to be able to do that. In this passage, Jonah's angry and he's arguing and he's resisting God. He's praying. He's talking to God. He's praying, but he's praying in anger. One of the things we learn from Jonah is this. God cannot be something you create to satisfy your needs. A God that you create, a God that we've created, will never be able to do what he did with Jonah. He's arguing with Jonah, reasoning with Jonah, challenging Jonah, counseling Jonah. Because a God that you create to satisfy your needs, you know, when you say, well, I I don't believe God is like this. He's really like this, I think, and he's really like that. That kind of God, he will never be able to change you. Never be able to change you. He will never be able to save you. Never be able to do that. Here, you, you see God, he's challenging Jonah. But if you look at God, you never see him raising, you never see him pounding on Jonah. He's not hammering Jonah. Instead, he meets with Jonah where Jonah's suffering east of the city. God meets him there. Jonah's praying in the fish at the depths of the sea. God rescues Jonah. God meets him in his suffering, in his anger, in his sorrow, in his pride, in his sin. He's counseling Jonah. A God you create could never do that. He'll never be able to counsel you when you're angry. He'll never be able to counsel you, speak into you when you're hurting. And Jonah, he's hurting, and he's hurting so much, he's come undone. But God calling him back. God is constantly calling him back. A God that you create will never be able to call you back like that. Call Jonah back from what? His anger. His anger. There are three things we're going to learn about Jonah's anger. And as we learn, then we're going to learn about our anger. One, we're going to diagnose it. Two, we're going to find the root cause of it. Thirdly, we're going to find the healing for it. The diagnosis, the root cause, the solution, the healing of it. First, we're gonna look at the diagnosis. Verse 1. God, we know that God shows compassion on Nineveh. But but it says here, Jonah was greatly displeased, and he became angry. Now, look, in chapter 3, Jonah he preaches this very harsh sermon. He says, Forty more days, and Nineveh, this city will be overturned. In other words, what he's saying is, you better stop your evil. And they do. They stop. They actually listen. The entire city makes a commitment to end their violence, to end their evil. Now, think about this mayors would only wish for that. Presidents could only hope for that. Pastors can only hope for that in their communities. This story should have ended with a celebration. It should have ended with celebrating and a party, but it doesn't. Instead, what you see is Jonah is angry, he is furious. The text actually says he was exceedingly angry. He was greatly displeased. The text says he was exceedingly angry. In the Hebrew, it reads, it's as if God had done something evil to Jonah. It's as if God has done something evil. And so Jonah, he's not just judging Nineveh. Nineveh deserves to die. He's looking at God and he's saying, you are evil. He's judging God. Do You see that? We do that. Now, why would he do this? Verse 2, he says, I knew you'd do this. I knew you'd be gracious. I knew you're compassionate. you're compassionate. I know you're slow to anger and abounding in love. That phrase actually comes from Exodus. All the way back in the beginning of the Old Testament, if you go to the second book in Exodus, towards the you know, middle to end, Moses, this great figure, he's pleading with God for his people. He's pleading with him for his people because they've sinned. And God says what? The Lord, the Lord, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, but he will not leave the guilty go unpunished. And Jonah's saying this, I don't get it. I don't get it. I mean, I know you're gracious. I know you're compassionate. Your promises have extended throughout history. I'm a prophet. I know the word. I know you. But I don't get it because you said you'd leave the guilty unpunished. You would would never do that. You would never leave them unpunished. You would never leave the wicked unpunished. I see your grace here. Where's the justice? Where's the justice then? I mean, do you know who these people are? They don't deserve this. They don't deserve this kind of favor. They have accrued such a debt against our people. They have harmed our people, threatened our people, hurt our people. You should punish these people. They're wicked people. Nineveh should pay for this. Either God is all just or you're all loving. Either he's all just and Nineveh pays or he's all loving and Nineveh doesn't pay. No one pays. I see the love. Where is the justice? How can you be both? I mean, in Exodus, you said you're both. How, how can you be both? Somebody has to pay this price. Now, we understand that intuitively. You hear this and you kind of get where Jonah's coming from, but we understand it intuitively. I'm going to break it down for you a little bit. I've said this before. If you've ever been hurt by anybody in your life before, you know deep inside you can't just let it go. You can't. Somebody, I mean, if you've been hurt really, if you've been hurt deeply by somebody, you know that it's not like life, it's like life, life transforming. There's like a soulful brokenness when that happens. There's a debt that's been accrued or incurred, and, uh, and they have to pay. Because if you let it go, what happens to that cost? They're supposed to pay that cost. That's why we seek revenge sometimes, because they're paying the cost. That's why we talk badly. We try to, you know, when something happens to you, we have many ways of dealing with it. We try to accrue a small coalition of people that can speak against that person or hate that person. You're making them pay. That's what we do, Right? When you say, you know what? I'm not even going to I'm not that's just beneath me. I'm going to walk away from this person. What are you doing? You're you're making them pay. You're breaking fellowship. You're saying I'm making you pay for this, right? But when you say I'm going to let it go. When you say I'm going to continue on in some way shape or form with this person, as if they had not done anything, who pays the price? You're paying the price. That's soul for brokenness feels even more broken it it puts cracks even inside the brokenness that's what happens and Jonah is asking God it's a very serious question it's a very real question why are they getting away with it you're supposed to see all this you're supposed to know this and you're letting them go and so he's confused and he's angry he's praying well he's praying but he's angry This is the diagnosis of anger. Why do we get angry? It's because, well, we're angry because we want justice for something. We want justice for something. Um, We don't want to pay for things that somebody else deserves to receive. There's a lack of a profound understanding of God's justice and love. That's at the root of all anger, a lack of understanding, a lack of a profound understanding of God's justice and his love, and it corrodes us. It just gets in there. That anger, it, when, once it, it grows, it's corrosive. There's this deep undercurrent of self-righteousness. There's this deep undercurrent of anger, and it's in all of us. That's what the Bible is saying. It's in all of us. You know why the Bible saying that? Because who's Jonah? Jonah is not somebody who doesn't know God. He's someone who knows God, and if someone who knows God can be this angry, well, all of us here can be angry. That's what it means. Deep inside, we know, growing up, we've been hearing about God's grace all our lives, if you've been growing up in the church, and yet we still believe that if I'm good, then I deserve God's love, and if I'm not good, I deserve to pay. That's how we live functionally, and that's, how, that's what we impose on other people. That's the heart of judgment. That's at the root of judgment. They don't deserve it because they don't live the way they should be living, And yet they get favor, and yet they have friends, and yet they're doing well. And when I suffer, why don't, why am I getting this? I'm a good person. We do that. The symptoms of our anger, they show up when we say things like, and I would never do that. I would never do that. I can't believe they would do something like that. I can't believe they would live like that. And that is what's killing Jonah. And that's what kills us. We don't know it because it's a deep undercurrent, it's so subcutaneous. We don't see it. It's hard to detect it. That's why you have to be very, a wise person would be able to diagnose it. That undercurrent of anger, it keeps us from trusting God because that's what's going on here. Jonah, it's not just the anger, it's not just a misunderstanding, it's not just a miscommunication. Jonah is looking at this and it's a very serious thing, and yet he's turning on God because of it. He's, trust, he's distrusting, not trusting God's faithfulness, his wisdom. And Jonah's not an irreligious person. He's a prophet. He's a prophet. He's a man of God. He's a leader. And his life is literally imploding. It's blowing up from the inside. And if it it can happen to Jonah, it can happen to all of us. A flawed application of God's love and his justice. That's a diagnosis of every, every spiritual downfall, really, but all of our anger. Because deep inside, we know what we're doing. We're still competing for God's love. We look to the person on our left and right. We're still competing with them for God's love. We think we need to. That's why we get defensive. That's why we cover up over our sins. We're so afraid that we're going to be exposed or someone's going to see some weakness and it's going to put us lower because we've worked so hard to get there, right? That's why we blame shift. We shift blame constantly. Husbands, wives do that 10 times a day, right? Um, it's easy to make excuses, Oh, it's the kids, you know, it's busy, we're a busy season. Right? It's easy to make excuses. We gossip. What's at the root of gossip? We're murdering people's reputations because it's a way of stepping over them to get ahead. That's what we're doing. We're scoffing at people. We can't own up to our sins. We rationalize our flaws because, of course, we're three-dimensional beings, but other people, everybody else is one-dimensional or two-dimensional. It's why we magnify other people's sins and minimize our own. And it's why we're so desperate for attention. At the heart of every self-righteous act, at the heart of every attempt to trendset, materialism, greed, prejudice, we're still competing for God's love. We're still competing for God's approval acceptance. Inside the fish, Jonah cries, I'm never going to do this again. I get it. I get it. He's praying. But then inside Nineveh, it all comes back. It comes back and it comes back. It's a, it's a cyclone of anger. You see that? Don't you get that? Jonah thought that the fish was sent to kill him, when in reality that fish was sent to save him. What's actually killing him is inside. It's not. In, it's not the fish. It's inside him. It's his anger. That's the diagnosis. Do you see it? If you're wise, you will turn to the people you know best and have them diagnose it for you. The second point is uh, the root cause. What's the root cause? When, when the anger is back in our lives, and we all get angry, different degrees, different ways of expressing it, um, the, when the anger comes back, we need to examine ourselves. What's at the root of our anger? And, and here it is. Something inevitably has become more important to you than God, and it's been withheld from you. It's been kept from you. This is almost always at the heart of why we argue with people. Wow, we'd fight for certain things, any type of anger, really, any type of anger. Jonah said, in verse 3, he says, take away my life. I mean, he's not just being dramatic here. He wants to die. Take away my life. It's better for me to die. In chapter 2, he's praising God. Chapter 2 is, a, is partly a thanksgiving song and a praise psalm, partly. Chapter 3, he is angry. He's so angry. In chapter 4, that anger is now, it's so corroded him. In that short bit of time, he is just destroying him. It's that kind of conflicted heart. On one chapter, you're doing great. You're thanking, you're praising. On the other hand, you're so angry. It's that conflicted heart. It's that understanding. Understanding that, it, it helps us to process our anger. You need to see that. Because for Jonah, he's so dissatisfied with what he sees. He's so dissatisfied with his current situation That knowing, he's so dissatisfied, that knowing that God is present in his life is not going to help him. It doesn't help him. And why? Jonah isn't angry because he doesn't know God, right? He's not angry because he's like, I don't, I'm trying to uh, really make sense out of God. I don't really know him that well. That's not Jonah's problem. Jonah's angry. He says, I know you are this. I know you are gracious. I know you are compassionate. Jonah's angry because he knows God. I know you are just, but you say you're gracious. And it tells you this, you never come to God, right? You never come to God just because he fulfills you. God can fulfill you. Knowing God can fulfill you. Knowing God will fulfill you, but not all the time. Not all the time. Look, I'm a pastor. I wish I can tell you that if you come to faith in Christ, it will be so fulfilling. (laughs) You will be in such utter bliss. You'll never need to worry ever again. You'll never need to, you'll never be angry. No need to be angry because life is great. I wish I can say that to you and I can't because knowing God will not always fulfill you. It will not always be fulfilling. You can't just come to him just for fulfillment or only because right now you feel fulfilled because then you're not really coming to God for God. You're coming to God because of these things. You see that? Think about any relationship in your life. If they're happy with you because of their circumstance with you, they're not coming to you for you. They're coming to you for those things. When those things are taken away, withheld from them, and if they depart from you, they're not coming to you for you. You see that? You understand that? Right? So you can't come to him just for fulfillment. What's at the root of Jonah's anger? What's at the root of Jonah's unhappiness? In verse 2 he says, I know you are abounding in love. That word, that phrase, uh, abounding in love, it's a very specific Hebrew word. He said, it's a, it's a Hebrew word that only points to the love that God can have for his people. We don't have that kind of love, an unfailing love. David, in Psalm 51, he says, I'm praying, I am appealing to your unfailing love. It is a love that only God can have for his people, an unending, unfailing love. Jonah says, I know you're forgiving. I know you're sparing. I know you're gracious, but not them. Come on, not those people. How do you know that? (laughs) He says, take away my life. I mean, he is so angry. Take away my life. When anybody says, I'd rather die than live, what are they saying? Something that gave my life meaning, something that gave my life worth, something that gave my life joy is gone. And as a result, my life no longer has any meaning. Come on, if anybody says, I'd rather die right now, It's because something that they so valued and held up as just of supreme value has been lost. That's why. That's what happens. What they're saying is, what gave my life meaning, what gave my life worth is gone. My life has no more meaning. Jonah, think about this. Jonah is looking at the only source of real meaning in the world, in the universe. Jonah is looking at the only source of life in the universe, and he's telling him, there's no more meaning in my life. Take away my life. I have no reason to live something else has become more important to jonah than god himself that's what's going on that's at the root of this and as a result it's he's telling he's saying that i, I have no more reason, i have no more reason to live something else has took the, the has taken the place of god it could be anything for us it could be anything it could be a relationship it could be your looks it could be your looks it could be because you're aging and it makes you angry You're fighting and fighting and fighting. It could be success. Your salary figure, oh, I mean, come on. In our world, in our room, in this room, your salary, the amount of value and worth that we place, it prevents deep relationships from forming. It prevents couples that could easily happen, but because of a salary figure, it prevents those relationships from ever even materializing. You see that? Because of a salary figure. And we put so much weight on those things we judge other people based on it and when we lose it oh my gosh what happens my goodness our lives fall apart that's what happens it could be our children especially in our generation today the heavy weight of worth and significance that we place on our children and our homes it could be a reputation good things these are none of these are bad things these are all good things but they're idols what's an idol An idol is something that takes the place of God. Very simple. That's what an idol is. John Calvin used to say that an idol is a good thing that has become an ultimate thing. A good thing that has become an ultimate thing. And your heart, John Calvin says, is a factory for idols. It makes an idol out of anything. That's where we can compete. I mean, you know this in college. Men know this in college. You can find anything to compete with another person over, right? Little games that you play, you make up games, the littlest things, the smallest things you will find to compete with somebody else over. That's what we do. An idol is anything, a good thing that becomes an ultimate thing. And when, it, when you lose it, it ruins you and you lose yourself. For Jonah, he loved his people. He loved God's people. What did God do? Speak to somebody else. He loved the security of his people the protection of his people, teaching his people, the prosperity of his people, God's people. And Nineveh directly threatened that security. They were wicked. They were violent. They were evil. And they were neighbors. He hated them. He hated Nineveh. That, it, became such, it became of greater worth than God. And to see Nineveh prosper, to see them forgiven, I mean, his anger became uncontrollable. That's what happens. What good can come from the evil prospering? That's Jonah's question. It's a very relevant question. When we're angry like this, what we're saying is God does not have it right. God got it wrong. And that's the root. That's the root of spiritual class. That's the, the moment you believe that, you've, first of all, you've already fallen off the cliff. You're already taking matters into your own hands. The root of every spiritual downfall in the midst of our anger is because we believe that God got it wrong. And so we have to, we're, out, we're on our own, essentially. We've departed, we've rebelled. That's the heart of sin, rebellion. Because we believe we can get it right. We can work towards getting it right. That's us. And that's the reason why Jonah, Jonah he's coming undone. He's falling apart because of the spiritual collapse. There are people in this room who say, yeah, I worship God. But what they're really saying is, I will serve God as long as he meets my needs. And when he doesn't meet my needs, I'm not going to serve God. So when he doesn't meet your needs right now, what's going to happen? In 1984, there was a a movie uh, called Amadeus. uh, Music lovers know this movie. Um, It won eight Academy Awards, uh, one of my favorite movies. Um, And it's a semi-fictional story of the life of Mozart, Amadeus Mozart, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. And it's told through the eyes of another contemporary composer of of Mozart's day, Salieri. And the movie, it takes place, Salieri is in this asylum. He's, he's gone crazy. He's gone mad. And this priest kind of enters in. He's trying to talk to Salieri because Salieri keeps saying that he has killed Mozart, that he murdered Mozart. And he's confessing this. And so he wants absolution. And um, he, he admits, he confesses, he says, I killed Mozart because of my hate, because of my jealousy. I judged Mozart, and so I killed him. Now, way in the beginning of the movie, he's talking to this priest and the priest is trying to understand, what do you mean you killed him because of your hate? What do you mean by this? And, and Salari so says, okay, well, hold on, let me, let me see if you can recognize this tune, right? Uh, I wrote it. And he plays this tune, and the priest is confused, and he says, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I've never heard of it before. I've never heard this before. And he says, okay, hmm, let me play you another one. Okay, you must have heard this one, because this is very popular in its day. And he plays it, and the priest says, "No, no, I don't. I don't think I've heard that either. I'm sorry, I, I haven't heard that before." So Salieri says, "Okay, hmm, ah, you surely have heard this one before, right?" Am I off key? Like, right? He does that, right? And uh, and uh, um, uh, you know, the priest says. Yes, yes, kind of sings along. Yes, that's a delightful song. That's what he says, right? He said, I didn't know you wrote that. And Salieri says, I didn't. That was Mozart. And Salieri starts to tell the story of Mozart's debauchery and just the lifestyle that he lived, this arrogant little man who was just dirty and idolatrous. And Salieri was a man of God. And he committed to his life to just serving God through his music. And so, what does he say? He says, you know, at one point, he says, all I ever wanted to do was praise God. But God chose this boastful, lustful, smutty, infantile boy. And it ruined Salieri, it ruined him. And so, he concludes, You are unjust. You are unjust. You were unfair. You were unkind. I will block you. I swear It drove him mad. That anger is so corrosive that you are mad. That's us. That's, what that, that's why those movies get us, because that's us. We drink heaping amounts of poison, hoping that the person we hate will die. That's what we're doing. Do you get that? That's the root of anger. Jonah preaches. He preaches, and all the, the city just is broken. And he storms out. And he, walks, he literally walks out of the city Goes east to the city, it says, far from God. And he waits. He's waiting to see what's going to happen. And uh, several things happen while he's waiting. A God appoints a vine. Jonah's happy because there's shade. Now I have relief. God's listening to me. And then what happens? God appoints a worm. And the worm comes up and eats the vine and then God appoints a wind, a scorching wind, and now Jonah's in heat, and he's dying, and he wants to die, and he's angry. Look how conflicted he is. Look how conflicted we are, so driven by our circumstances. We're constantly looking at our present circumstances to justify whether or not God is really listening, whether or not he's really there, whether or not he really loves us or hears us. That's what we do something else has gripped us so deeply and look at the selfishness of jonah look at his selfishness look at his unfaithfulness look at his confusion and his pride and his anger but the thing is that's us that's why the story is in there that's why this narrative is in there that's us something else has gripped us and it's put us against god every day there's a battle in your heart for that and it corrodes our souls to death that's our sin in our anger and in our pride now, what's God doing here? Throughout the book, four times we see the word appoint. God appointed, God appointed, God appointed, God appointed. In chapter one, God appointed a fish. Chapter four, God appointed a vine. Chap- uh, uh, chapter 4, verse 8, God appointed uh, a worm. God appointed a scorching wind. The Hebrew word, they, each time, it was, this, was, this was called by God, appointed by God. It was his will. He, he, he willed this. Hebrew word is appointed. What does that mean? In each case, God is there. That's what that means. It was, this was intentional. Even though Jonah is so distant, uh, he's very, very distant. God is there. God is there. Uh, How do you know Jonah's distant relationally here? It's not just because he's angry. That's the visible picture of Jonah's distance from God. But he runs east. Whenever you see the phrase east, the word east in the Bible, it represents being far from God. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, when they rebelled, they chose to follow their own way because they distrusted God and chose to make decisions on their own. Take of the fruit, what happened? They were driven where? East of Eden, distant from God, apart from him. And so Jonah is physically, geographically, emotionally, relationally distant from God, and yet God is there. He's appointing these things. He's using these things. He uses the fish to save Jonah. He sends the shade to comfort Jonah. He uses the the worm and the vine and 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 the wind to teach Jonah. Jonah says, this is killing me. He says, no, I'm trying to save you. I'm saving you. You get that? He's trying to dig into the roots of our anger and pull it out. That's surgery. Surgery is always painful. Sometimes surgery feels like death. What's the cure? What's the healing? Look at God in all this. So patient. God is so patient. He's counseling Jonah. Uh, Most of the time, he's just asking questions. He doesn't sit there and lecture Jonah. Jonah right? He's just asking questions. And a lot of times, they're the right questions, but they're the same question, right? He does, but you never see him bringing the hammer down. You never see, he doesn't say, you know what? That king deserves more grace than you. He doesn't say that. He's so gracious to Jonah. He's abounding in love. Look at the grace of God, the compassion of God, slow to anger, such self-control, abounding in love. And he's calling Jonah back. He calls him to his own heart. He says, I love the city. I love Nineveh. Nineveh has 120,000 people who don't know their right from their left. Their left from, And, and I, I love the city. He says, do you, do you know my heart, Jonah? Because I can't use you unless you know my heart. Do you get that? More than using you because of your gifts and your knowledge, I want to use you because you know my heart. If you're angry, you need to know this. God is so quick He's not quick to anger. Your circumstances, I can say a lot about your circumstances and I don't know all your circumstances, but I can tell you your circumstances are not God's abandonment of you. He's reasoning with you. Look at life with that paradigm and see how it plays out. God is reasoning with you. That's why the author of this book, it had to be Jonah or somebody that Jonah told about his life. One thing we know for certain, it's not legend, it's not fiction. And the reason why it's not, you know, the book is, it had to have been Jonah or somebody Jonah told, Jonah's not the hero in the story. In those days, you never wrote a fictional account like this. There's so many mundane details in this story, in this narrative. You never wrote fiction in that event. That type of fiction, if you're an English major, you would understand this, you would know this. That type of fictional genre didn't exist until like a couple hundred years ago, like 300 years ago. So this, you would only write something like this because it happened. Jonah had to have either written it himself or told somebody else about it. But one thing we know for sure, why did he tell them this? Why did he write this? Because he must have learned. What he's saying is, look at me. Look at how foolish I look. (laughs) Laugh with me about this. I was a fool, and I'm entitled, and I'm so angry. What am I angry about? What am I resistant about? Because look how gracious God is. Look how patient he is. Look how loving he is with me. I'm the fool. God wasn't oppressing me. He's setting me free. Will you let go of your anger? Will you let go of your pride? Let go of those rival gods because that is the source. Let go of the rival gods in your life, those idols, because those things are the root of corrosion in our lives. And it will become, right now you think you have a handle. But like any type of addiction in your life, one day it becomes uncontrollable. And when it becomes uncontrollable, one day it will just burst you. We don't get sent to hell. We grow into it. One day it just becomes so uncontrollable. We're there. We're already there. You get that? God is just being patient right now. And God is there. God is there. You have to know that. He's listening to you. He's listening to you. He's patient with you. He's reasoning with you everything that's happening he's appointing and he's not appointing to hurt you he's appointing like jonah that's the pattern to bring you back to call you back god asks jonah two times do you have any right to be angry do you have a right to be angry the second time jonah actually says i do that's what he says i do i'm so angry i could die he says in chapter two jonah got the fish he prays now i get it i get it god it's all about grace. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Then he walks into Nineveh. He sees the way they're living. He sees what that could do to his people, and he starts judging them. He says, you know, on one hand in the fish, it's all about grace. And then as he's walking through the city, it's all about works. He says, he's judging you, and he's judging you, and he's judging you, and we do that all the time. We do that to our friends. There is no greater murder of reputations than your best friend's. The ones you love. And so he's distant from God. He's distant. He's alienated himself from other people. And he's falling apart. He's falling apart because of his anger. And God's calling him. Come back. Come back. Come back. And he must have been healed because this book has been written. He must have been healed. It's the evidence. It's a testimony. Now, how was he healed? Because if we understand that, then we're going to be healed. We can be healed. Jonah says... Somebody has to pay. I don't get it. Somebody has to pay. He's gripped by the cost, the debt. I mean, I see that God is gracious, but how can he be just? I see that God is patient. I mean, God is patient even at the hint of their repentance. And Nineveh wasn't fully repentant. Later on, if you read books like Nahum, Nineveh gets destroyed. Nineveh goes to destruction. But even at the hint of repentance, God is so relenting and he holds back of his anger, of his wrath. How can he be just if he's that good? And if he's that faithful, how can he be just? How do you reconcile those two things? In Luke chapter 19, Jesus, like Jonah, is looking at the city, Jerusalem. And uh, he had just entered in, and now he's looking at the city. And instead of judging the city, he weeps for the city. And really, what he, if you actually read his prayer in Luke 19, really what he's saying is this city is going to be overturned. But he's not happy about it. He's not anticipating it. He's weeping. He's not angry. Jonah, he grieved uh, over the salvation of the wicked. But Jesus grieved over the judgment of the wicked. Jonah came to bring judgment. Jesus came to bear it, to experience it. You've got to look to Jesus Christ, the true king, Like chapter 3, the king, Jesus Christ is the true king who came down. He literally came down, and he surrendered and stripped himself of everything and surrendered to the will of God, not because he's a sinner, not because he needs to be repentant. He is absolutely holy and perfect and beautiful. you got to look at that beauty. But for the sake of the sinners, for the sake of the broken, he sacrificed for them, he gave himself for them, he died for them. Look to the true prophet, a greater Jonah in Jesus Christ, who obeyed God fully. God called Jesus to go down, to go down and to speak uh, words of judgment and grace. And Jesus went there and he obeyed God fully and he pleaded with God like a good prophet would, the best prophet, the greatest prophet, and he wept over the wicked. That is what's gonna melt your heart. You cannot be hammered into repentance. You cannot be hammered into forgiveness. You can't. It's too hard. You can't just say, you know what, willpower, I'm going to change. That's not what's going to happen because the anger is going to come back. It's going to set back in. You can hold off for a little while, and then the walls collapse, and it's going to come right back in. It is so fragile. Our selfish attempts at forgiveness are so fragile. The only way that you can truly forgive, the only way that you can truly move forward without being gripped by your anger, you have to be melted into that by the love of Christ. Jesus Christ, before he was arrested, He was praying for the people. He was praying for the city. He was weeping for the city. These are the people who are going to betray him. And he's praying for them knowing that he's praying for them ahead of time. And in the garden of Gethsemane, he says, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, yet not my will, yours be done. He's reflecting what he's doing at Gethsemane, the the night he was betrayed. He's sitting there in Gethsemane and he's praying. He's praying and his soul is just overwhelmed because he's reflecting on everything that's about to happen to him on the cross what happened to him on the cross on the cross the punishment the penalty for our evil our violence our wickedness the wickedness the punishment that we deserve became his On the cross, Jesus Christ cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What he's saying is, I have lost the one person I hold of supreme value and worth, the one person that means everything to me. If you take him away, my life is over. It is better for me to die. I have lost the one person that has meant everything, God himself, the sum of my worth and my wealth and my meaning and my significance. And because of that, now I've become undone. I've become ruined. Not because I I don't want to lash out and pour out God's wrath, but because I'm going to absorb it. I'm going to absorb God's wrath. God's wrath is being poured out on me, not in part, not a glimpse, but in full. Jonah, he's outside the city, and he's angry. He's distant from God. Jonah is outside the city, and he's angry because Nineveh deserved wrath and he got the heat. He got the heat. Jesus Christ is on the cross outside the city. That's why he had to be crucified outside the city. He was cast out. And on the cross, he deserved honor. He deserved the love of God, the favor of God, but he was crucified outside the city, cast out, not because he disobeyed, but because he obeyed. And was he angry? Was he angry? God says, Nineveh has 120,000 people who don't know. Should I not not love this great city? Jesus Christ says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Should I not love them? That's Jesus. He's talking about the people who betrayed him. He's talking about the people that deserve the wrath of God. He's talking about us. How can God be all loving and all just? It's the cross. The cross is where you see the justice of God, right? You know because of the cross, God does not let a single sin go. That's why you know that in the end, wickedness and evil, it will pay. The cross is the prime example, and we know, that we can, and we can trust that God will not a single evil act go unpunished. And yet, he you know, pours it out on the cross. And yet, the cross is where we see the love of God. He pours out his love on his people because he poured out his wrath on Christ, on the cross. So the cross is where you see the love of God and the justice of God. The justice of God and the mercy of God. The justice of God and the grace of God. They kiss, they embrace on the cross. Jesus Christ received the wrath. We receive the mercy. That's the gospel. That's good news. That's good news. Jonah says, I would rather die than see the wicked spared. Jesus says, I would rather die so that the wicked could be spared. And this is all the while people are throwing rocks at him, mocking him, pouring out judgment. He obeyed and he forgave. He's the greater king. The greater Jonah let the grace of God let the compassion of God for you for you because we are foolish like Jonah let the grace of God let the mercy of God let the compassion of God let that melt your heart let the gospel melt your heart because you know that on one hand that injustice the justice that you want to seek payment for God will not let it go God will not let it go the cross is the proof Your sins are redeemed because God has accounted for every one of those things on the cross. And all those who do not, one day, he will not let any evil go unpunished. But we also know that God is present. He's there for you. He's there for you, with you, patient with you, calling you. Don't judge the evil. Don't abandon the evil. Don't run from it. And before you deal with it on the outside, make sure, before you take any action on the outside, make sure you deal, uh, you see how I dealt with your evil on the inside, and then you will be able to absorb the cost on your own. It's the only way you're going to be able to move forward. It doesn't mean that everything works out pretty. It doesn't mean that everything is back to normal. Some things may never return to normal, but you can forgive and you can move forward. And then you can look to others genuinely and love them genuinely as you've been loved, genuinely. It's been, it's been proven by the precious blood of Christ. Do you trust it? Let's pray.